Welcome to HealthCast, the heartbeat of health IT. I'm Alexander Bolova, production lead at GovCIO Media and Research. With me today is staff writer researcher, Catherine McPhail. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Alex. You had the opportunity to talk with Kristen Finney, director of the HHS Empower program. How did that conversation go? This conversation was so interesting because Kristen Finney has been with the Empower program for over 10 years, which is a long tenure in government and a long tenure with one particular program. So she has a really special perspective and there is a lot to learn from her in this conversation. Wow, 10 years, a whole decade. Can you think of anything that you've worked on for 10 years? Hmm. Now I'm thinking about how I like gave up on piano lessons when I was a kid, you know, like where would I be today, Alex, if I still took piano lessons? I honestly don't have anything with me right now. Alex, did have you done anything for 10 years? Have you been editing podcasts for, for 10 years now? I'm not, although I guess, I don't know. I've done theater stuff for a little over 10 years at this point. But I can't say that there's one single thing that I've been working on for 10 years, which makes what Kristen Finney is doing so impressive. So for those who don't know, what is HHS Empower? So HHS Empower is a partnership between the Administration for Strategic Preparedness and Response, ASPR, and the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS. And really what this program is, is it helps protect the health of 4.4 million electricity and healthcare dependent individuals who are at risk in emergency scenarios such as a natural disaster. So Empower partners with emergency managers for critical data sharing to protect the health of those at-risk populations. Wow, over 4 million people. That is such an important mission. And I know that Kristen Finney will go into more details about the program. But before that conversation, is there anything that you learned from the conversation? Anything you want to highlight? Yes. So Kristen has been at Empower since the very beginning. And so she gets to speak to the evolution of the program. And there's a lot to learn from her on the technical side. But I think the thing that stood out to me the most was how building and communication and feedback for product design, building trust, building a network, and even building community seemed critical to their success. And that that was a key driver for creating such a strong foundation and infrastructure for this program and for building something that emergency managers can really use to secure the health of at-risk people. Well, I for one can't wait to listen to your conversation, so let's jump into it. Kristen, thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you for the opportunity for being here and participating. I'm really excited. So to start us off, could you tell us a little bit about what is the Empower program and some of the history of the program? Absolutely. So the HHS Empower program is actually, it's a mission critical partnership that we've developed between the Administration for Strategic Preparedness and Response, also known as ASPR, and the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services Medicare program. 
The program provides federal health data, mapping, artificial intelligence tools, as well as training and resources to help communities nationwide protect the health of at-risk individuals, particularly those that rely on certain types of life-maintaining and assistive durable medical equipment, and also certain healthcare services um, that protect their health. So public health authorities, and you know, such as Departments of Health and their emergency response partners use this data every day, um, preferably prior to a disaster, to strengthen their planning for it, responding to it, recovering from a disaster, and also taking proactive steps and actions to protect them in the course of those that may be directly in the threat in the line of the disaster. But for background, you know, the genesis of how this program came to be really goes back to a little bit time before uh, Hurricane Sandy in 2012. Leading up to 2012, we'd seen um, a string of different types of disasters from tornadoes to flooding events, hurricanes, and such. And what we had seen time and time again, our senior officials were going and deploying down to states and locals and talking with their emergency managers and public health officials. Mm -hmm. And many of them brought to attention that there was this large number of individuals that were basically rapidly thrust into life-threatening situations because their dependency on types of equipment, such as ventilators and oxygen concentrators, electric wheelchairs and such, and certain IV infusion pumps that provide medications to them or mm -hmm. feeding machines, these individuals were showing up, um, calling 911, seeking a EMS assistance, overwhelming hospital emergency departments, and also overwhelming shelters. And they had no data or understanding that these individuals lived and resided in their communities. You know, we go back to 2012 and we were talking of just the kind of start of the big data movement. Um, GIS was starting to come to the forefront, but there really was, you know, there was some census data and such, but this detailed level of information that they really needed in order to anticipate or plan for, it wasn't in existence. So many of them across the country brought to the attention of our leadership you know, is there a way that we can get this information or provide them with some information that can help them better anticipate, plan for, and respond to the needs in their communities? And, you know, this population was also seen suddenly as a growth of the advances in health technology and also mm -hmm. healthcare service delivery. We now had more and more methodologies and care delivery being done in the home and community-based setting, which is wonderful daily for individuals to have the freedom to live independently, be in their home, stay in their communities. However, in the event of an emergency or disaster, they're rapidly thrust into life-threatening situations, sometimes in minutes, hours, or days, because they rely on secure, continual energy, power, or healthcare services like dialysis patients that rely on that three times a week in order to um, live. So mm -hmm. as a consequence of this, you know, there the question was, how could we help? And we came back to our sister agencies, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, and particularly the Medicare program and working with CMS and their senior leadership, we were able to explore whether or not administrative or insurance claims data could potentially provide information to public health authorities, such as departments of health, that would better enable them to understand or know that these individuals um, lived in their communities. Right. Mm -hmm. So we partnered with them 
It was the first time in history of the program that they were looking to do this. We went through an extensive, exhaustive process with legal review and such, particularly because we were looking at use of health data, and that's extraordinarily important. And ultimately, what we learned is that we could use this data through a disclosure with HIPAA, under HIPAA, that would actually enable public health officials to potentially conduct life-saving outreach in the event of a disaster. But before we did that, we wanted to make sure that this data was timely and accurate enough because, you know, it was insurance claims data. We wanted to make sure that, you know, that, say, I'll say, you know, protecting privacy, Mrs. Smith lived at that location and she had that piece of equipment because before we send in a responder, we want to have some level of insurance that individuals are in that community, right? We don't want to put them at too much of risk. So we conducted in partnership with the city of New Orleans, the first in the nation exercise. And what we did was um, we created in our initial algorithm, our ability to actually identify Medicare beneficiaries that had um, a dependency on a ventilator or an oxygen concentrator. And in partnership with that public health organization and first responders, we went out and um, assessed you know, the timeliness of that data. So we went and visited over about 200 individuals. And sure enough, it was 93% accurate. And that person was there, they had the equipment. We also saw that they had a lot of high needs, um, that they would have a high level of assistance requirements potentially in a disaster. Um, we wanted to test it again within that same year. And that exercise, that initial exercise was in June of 2013. We tested it in April of 2014 in upstate New York. And it was 94% accurate with a large wow. patient population. So we really saw consistency in the data. And that was really helpful to going to the next step. And, you know, it brought us to, okay, how do we translate this concept now into a national program? And how do we best evoke change, you know, helping to protect in advance of a disaster because you don't want to try and identify locations and such when you're in the most um, tenuous situation, your resources are overwhelmed, you may not have enough um, you know, staff or resources given the constraints of the disaster. So what we needed to do was figure out how to anticipate and plan ahead. So in the event of a disaster, um, we were well ahead and ready and prepared for the needs of those individuals across the country. So. Wow. This is such an incredible story. I mean, also very exciting to hear about how this all started in 2012. You identified a problem. You saw that there is this Medicare data that could help you find the solution. And now it's been over 10 years of developing this initiative and building it. So I'm just very excited to hear more about this. Sure. And one of the most important things that we, in talking to local and state um, public health and emergency management officials, health organizations, et cetera, one of the most critical things that we learned is that this tool, these tools had to reflect their needs. Mm -hmm. So we had to be cognizant of making sure that we develop tools and resources and data sets that could be readily meaningful, consumable, and actionable to the partner that was using them, whether that individual be in one of the largest metropolitan areas, all the way to the most small rural community in, say, Wyoming. And that was, you know, one of the hardening challenges at the time, especially given there wasn't as much proficiency with big data, um, GIS and such. And it really making sure that we met them where they were was one of the driving forces for how we developed 
the different set of tools and data sets that we have today in uh, the HHS Empower program. Could you tell us about some of those publicly available tools and also the restricted tools that Empower offers to enable that emergency management? Because I know you have kind of a, a broad tool set. You have different ones for different special cases. Exactly. So what we wanted to make sure is that we had the right data and the right tool for the right person and at the right time. So based on your role or responsibility in an emergency, whether you're a local community member that's trying to help out, all the way to a direct responder, that's their job is to go and find and or support or create shelters, and that's going to need more detailed information, all the way to the first responder that may be doing urban search and rescue and trying to actually um, save a life um, in direct impact zone of a disaster. So what we first started with was in developing our initial algorithms and basically creating our data set for Empower, we realized right away that we had about 2.5 million at the time that were electricity dependent. Um, that's now since gone up to 2.7. We also learned that there's about 2.8 million that relied on certain types of healthcare services, such as oxygen tank, home health, and um, dialysis in the facility, et cetera. So we, the first stunning step of this was realizing that there were so many that depended on electricity dependent. And we only have about 14 life-maintaining types of equipment included in that. And what we also saw is that these individuals were in every community. They were everywhere. They were across the nation in our territories. And so we realized first and foremost, many had no idea about this. If the emergency management officials that have access to more data and such, don't know. Also other community partners, hospitals and such don't know as well. So what we did was we created the first ever HHS Empower Map, where we created um, an interactive map that delivered uh, de-identified, which means we've removed all protected information. So there's no protected information. Instead, we are able to basically provide total numbers of individuals that rely on those types of equipment and we provided it geospatially. So you could see it at the state or your county level or even down to your zip code level. And that map is readily available. And that was really created to also help our partners that didn't have access to GIS, because many of them didn't. So they needed to be able to visualize it. They also needed to have access to severe weather events in real time so that they could actually put those two pieces of information together. So, you know, it's a pretty simple tool but it's actually a really meaningful tool for many people that didn't have those data expertise or experience or even staff that have that. But yet leveraging that capability, they were able to actually see their community and start to anticipate and plan for that, whether it's shelter locations, where they put EMS, or they use transportation for medical assistance, transportation for evacuations, et cetera. So that was the first step. But we also realized that Again, those emergency responders that have to do more detailed planning, those are the ones that are making decisions on where to put shelters and what type of resources are needed in the shelters and um, whether or not we're going to need, um, you know, what to evacuate individuals into different areas, you know, what type of um, accessible transportation and resources, um, urban search and rescue teams. They also really needed to have a more granular picture. So in these cases, they need to understand what types of equipment and the numbers by type of equipment. So how many people rely on that ventilator? 
as opposed to somebody who may be on a wheelchair. So again, thinking about transportation, those that are wheelchair bound that may have to have special assets to get them to basically out of harm's way. So they needed that more granular information. And we created planning data sets that we update and all this data is updated on a monthly basis. Again, all de-identified, no protected information, but tools that are actually helping them provide timely information that they can use as baseline for planning and creating emergency response plans so that they can rapidly activate them in a disaster. And then we know that some unfortunate dis uh, disasters will rise to a catastrophic level, and that may need urban search and rescue that many people have seen on the news and such, where those teams go in and try and find individuals that may be trapped in their homes. So in doing so, um, we created a minimal uh, necessary individual data set that only under HIPAA, we were able to disclose this to only a public health official that works closely with emergency responders and trained conditions and such. But in the event of a current disaster, an imminent current disaster, such as a hurricane, a Sierra, a wildfire, a flood, um, and they need to go rapidly uh, re, um, identify or locate those individuals and or do outreach in that area, they can request that information from us. We are able to provide that data securely, and they're able to take it and make it a life-saving mission. I think one of the things that's most unique about this, too, is that we have really been able to create a program that we can turn data around pretty instantaneously um, in terms. So, you know, we have our monthly updated data. It's readily available. You can use it. It's, you know, um, no protection, no privacy in there. But the second part of this, in the event of an individual data set, we're able to do it in sometimes as short as an hour or two hours. So we're getting them the, that data into the hands of the um, public health officials, those responders to be able to move quickly and save a life. Um, we also created for our um, HHS EmpowerMap, we also have a complimentary GIS REST service. So one of the other things that we wanted to make sure is that, again, you know, readily consumable. If you already have a GIS application, we want you to be able to add that into your own GIS application. So you don't have to go to our map, but instead you'll have it as a data layer. So that was one of the other things that we were really ahead of the game on and right away in about 2017 made that publicly available. So if you have a GIS application, you can add the EmpowerMap data that you see on that tool right into your own system, and you can use it readily with your other types of data layers to really do advanced planning as well. Wow, that is so exciting also that you could have that data available as early as 2017. And as you say, it is so important to make a tool that reflects the needs of emergency managers, that it's understandable and actionable for them, especially if they don't have a technical or a public health background. And I'm wondering if you can talk about your strategies for collaborating with local emergency managers and sort of the feedback that you're looking to get from them in order to make that user-centered design. Absolutely. So um, from the onset of concept of this program all the way through developing the tools and many iterations of improvements, those came directly from our partners. So I can honestly say I've talked to probably a couple thousand state, local emergency management, public health, healthcare officials, et cetera, throughout the years. Wow. And one of the things that we always wanted to make sure is that we were reflective of their needs. So really, in a way, it was kind of a grassroots effort 
um, we created ideas. It was through listening sessions and such initially. And we started to create prototypes. And this was, it was new. They hadn't seen this before. So it really took some time for them to kind of think through, you know, how would I apply this, right? So that was one of our most important things right away. Um, and bringing their feedback into it. So there's many situations where we would have a disaster response. For example, um, there was significant flooding in 2017 with uh, throughout the state of Nevada. And there's many counties, some that were more proficient and some that didn't have many data skills. And it wasn't uncommon for me to ask the state and with those partners, could we have a call and could we sit through and walk through what really worked well, what didn't work well? Are there improvements that we could make? And they provided great feedback on things that we didn't realize, you know, ways that we could make improvement to some of the GIS uh, structures, you know, in our data sets that would make it be consumed easier or different types of addresses that we weren't aware of that are unique to a certain part of the country. And we were able to make patches and corrections right away. And that was something that really created a trust and also in a continued interest in growing this program from a local level because they saw that their feedback was being taken and it was being applied and that we were working to really make sure that we were trying to help them in preferably ahead of that disaster but also in the worst day that might be you know coming across their path mm-hmm. and that was really something the other thing that we also had to realize was you know um, a lot, I think something we've all learned is that there's not huge emergency response teams in many of these organizations, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've seen some cuts to grant funding over the years, and that really cut into a lot of the capabilities um, over the past couple of decades, et cetera. And so as a consequence of that, you know, we had to be able to also consider the fact that there's a lot of other people that may not have you know, they may have a technical skill or may come and just support a response that do other jobs. So I also have to take that into consideration when we said, you know, meet them where they are. So we took a very different approach on how we created our our basically technical tools and informational resources. So all of them were developed to be just in time because some of the examples I learned in talking to different counties and states across the country is that, you know, for example, GIS analysts tended to not be, you know, health-based because they usually partnered with their emergency management agency. So they were used to other types of fields of data expertise. Some even like park service because they had large parks that they used those partners in which to do their GIS mapping. So bringing health information to them was very confusing to them. So we made just in time, very detailed job aids that anybody could take it, read it, and get to the gist of what they needed to do to be able to apply it and basically add that data layer immediately and just just in time. Um, Understand what that information is in the data set. So when they're looking at it, they can take that information, quickly understand it, and then apply it to what's going on and help inform actions that are taking place. And most of those tools and resources you can now see, we have more coming out on the HHS Empower Program platform, which is a tool that they all requested too. You know, we, about five years into the program, did a quality improvement workshop where we brought 
over 22 state, territorial, and local partners that had been working on Empower and experiences with it. And we brought them and we sat down at the table and said, how do we make this better? What's working? What's not working? How can we make it better for you? So we really took the the feedback directly from them and Empower Program Platform was one of them. They said, we need a central location. We want a website that tells us you know, how do you, how we can use this tool immediately if I have somebody I don't know, but I can give them to this uh, tool to them and they can go take it and run. Also, tell us how other people are using it. So we created stories from the field in Empowering Action, an interactive map, where we're now collecting examples of how this tool and resources have been used over time. And we also do a lot of analytic work on the back end of Empower Map too. So we will monitor, you know, where in the country is being used in disasters is Empower Map being leveraged and used in those areas. And what we've seen over time, particularly, for example, in from 2018, 19 um, and onward, but really specifically in 2019 in the state of California, there was a lot of um, rapid implementation of what's called public safety shutoffs. And that was because of the wildfire risks. And they were turning de-energizing lines because they were afraid of winds that would actually potentially cause ignition. So those were happening very fast. In one case, they had about 3 million that were going to go in rolling outages across the state. Mm. And we saw firsthand the utilization of EmpowerMap right along those lines of the shutoffs, as well as utilization for where we had um, specific incidences of wildfires. So we had really, you know, a good utilization, local uh, adoption, state adoption as well. So not only do we look at this from the individual, you know, going and doing urban search and rescue and such, but more importantly, using those tools ahead of time. And even in during that response, those public tools are actually helping to save lives. I appreciated what you mentioned about how the feedback not only makes the tool more useful, but it also helps build trust and that, you know, trust building sort of increases the use and the utility of it. I think that that's, it's a really critical part of any effort is that trust building. Absolutely. You mentioned, you also, you already touched on this, but I'm wondering if there, and you talked about how you all are promoting more stories from the field and trying to turn some of these incidents in the emergency response into use cases that can help people become familiar with the program. I'm wondering if there are any examples of an emergency incident and the role of, that the Empower program played in emergency management that you might like to mention. Sure. So there's been a host of different examples. One right off the top of my mind is um, 2017, Hurricane Irma um, was Cat 5 and it hit the United States Virgin Islands in its path and caused catastrophic damage to St. Thomas um, and St. Croix that was also exacerbated later by Hurricane Maria. But particularly um, St. Thomas and Irma was all of their dialysis facilities and their hospital were severely um, damaged and weren't able to continue to operate. And what I had talked about before were those dialysis patients, individuals that rely on this treatment three times a week. It's necessary to keep them alive. And as a consequence of that, to be able to not have any capacity to dialyze patients, thrust them into a life-threatening situation. And we were able to use Empower to help for the case of this, to 
use those urban search and rescue teams. We had our national disaster medical assistance teams also embedded with them. And they were able to go and take that data and go out and find individuals that were trapped in their homes that needed access to care and treatment. And through that program, we were able to medically evacuate over 129 alone from St. Thomas to ensure that they could actually maintain their dialysis treatments and keep them safe and protect their lives. Other instances that we've seen, for example, in Oregon and the wildfires, the state has been helpful and instrumental in um, helping with evacuations. In the county of Los Angeles, they've done extensive work with particularly, say, the city of uh, Los Angeles um, during the 2017 wildfires all the way to the most recent ones. Um, they ultimately used this data to be able to rapidly plan and evacuate areas that were in the threat of the wildfires that continue to advance with almost zero notice. Um, this was basically unheard of before that. They had never had access to data such as this. Um, it created a strategic partnership where they actually have created an integrated operational capability that they can readily turn on in 30 minutes notice and be able to dispatch first responders and use this information as well as others to basically protect those that might be at highest risk um, and need the most assistance in that path of a disaster. And lastly, we also have seen it also being used in some of the smallest communities, which I talked about before. For example, in Goshen County, Wyoming, it's a small rural county that um, relies on a public cooperative energy uh, company. And they were confronted with back-to-back -back severe blizzards and they were losing power for extended up to potentially seven days. And here was the state partnered with that local county official. They were able to take this data and they were able to conduct um, health and wellness visits to those individuals, something that they had never been able to do, you know, having never had access to data before. So, you know, here we have an example of some of the largest metropolitan areas all the way to something as a small rural county where it's helping save lives. Wow, those are really powerful use cases. And I think, I mean, it, it's a very sad truth that natural disasters and other emergencies are only increasing. And so the need for a tool like this one is also only growing. So I think um, you can see how helpful this will continue to be. I also wanted to ask about artificial intelligence and how AI is enabling the Empower program. So first and foremost, um, it's been really development of these algorithms and refinement over time that we're able to rapidly mine this information and then not only mine it, but now translate it into a way that can be useful and supportive of you know, preparedness, emergency preparedness planning, supporting responses in a disaster, and even recovery uh, missions as we know that there's a long recovery after disasters, depending on the scale and scope of them. Um, the other thing that we realized too, which came out of the 2017 hurricanes, and particularly in Puerto Rico, um, we also saw this in the U.S. Virgin Islands, is that having the public map, that that data was you know, helpful and useful for a host of different partners, some that were community um, teams that came together to do health checks in their community. So there was, you know, again, all these different partners came to play and that information could help them look into targeted areas that there was a high dependency on power um, powered equipment. And 
What we did realize, though, is that many of them, because of the internet going in and out, going and using a map, say, on your phone and such, it the, the response time wasn't fast enough, so it could stall out. So at the time, Amazon Alexa had started to come out, and so did Google Virtual Assistants. And I had a really innovative contractor, and still do, and... We said, could we use a virtual assistant that could be text and um, voice activated on a smartphone that could leverage the data capability and provide this information to them faster in a fraction of a second? So wow. instead of having to deal with, you know, I'm going to go to a state and then a, a county and then the zip code to see the number, can I ask it that question and have it deliver me the answer instantaneously? So again, our efforts to try and get this first responders access to this information as quickly as possible. And we were able to do it. And so we were one of the first ones out there and we integrated Alexa into the capabilities of Empower. So we're providing that information in a host of different ways. We've done it with Google Virtual Assistant as well. And uh, we look forward to seeing, you know, new applications and technology are coming out through all these other platforms and are excited to see if there's ways in which that some of that new technology in the future can also be used to help the first responders and the public health officials really take care of these individuals um, and leverage it across their community partners too and helping to protect their community members as well. Hello, listeners. Catherine's conversation with Kristen Finney was so full of terrific information that we're splitting the episode into two parts. Tune in next week for the second half. Until then, thank you for listening to HealthCast. HealthCast, along with GovCast and CyberCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them on your favorite podcast platform, And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. If you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at govcio.com.